afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Quite a response regarding um, mobility parking, illegal parking. Uh, when my daughter lived at home and had a disability card, people used to ask me if they could borrow it to go to Concordian Stains. Uh, another one here, a former, a few months ago, a former Wellington councillor uh, parked on a disabled car park right in front of me at a central Wellington supermarket. I have a photo to prove it, and I was disturbed that a public figure would do that. Someone says that in the Netherlands, uh, if you park legally in a mobility car park, it is a $450 fine, and just a photo is enough to get the fine. So how about that? Thank you very much for your thoughts, your feedback this afternoon. Today's Ministry of Health figures uh, has recorded 10 further deaths, 930 people in hospital, 23 of whom are in ICU or HDU. And with hundreds of hospital staff of sick making beds, answering calls and clearing empty linen, uh, have also become the roles taken up by executive leadership teams. And Auckland nurses and midwives are being offered a $500 bonus for every night shift they work to help hospitals combat severe staffing shortages amid Omicron. This extra allowance on top of the amount they would usually get is under the multi-employer collective agreement. With us to discuss this is Nurses Society of New Zealand Director David Wills. Kia ora, David. Welcome. Kia ora, Wallace and panel. Yeah, pretty significant bonus there. Has this sort of bonus happened before? No, it's without precedent as far as I can recall, although it is at the moment only a temporary yeah. a temporary uh, extra bit of financial assistance to compensate for some of the problems. In fact, it's uh, scheduled to end tomorrow, although oh. we believe it will be reviewed again. It was only introduced for a two-week period, but it looks like the need may be ongoing because obviously there's been no reduction in the numbers hospitalised, um, particularly in the Auckland area. The numbers are, are very high because although although we talk about perhaps 930 people in hospital, people have to bear in mind that two-thirds of those are in three hospitals, um, yeah. Auckland, Middlemore and North Shore, and that poses a huge additional burden on those hospitals and on the staff in those hospitals. And that's part of the reason why existing shortages have been exacerbated. I was just thinking, I mean, this uh, quite a significant bonus. Is that just an indictment of just how stretched staff are? Well, there have been chronic shortages for sure, and there are some shifts that are particularly difficult to fill at night. And that's part of the reason for bringing this extra bonus in. It would be great if there were these additional payments all year round, but that's not realistic. But uh, certainly uh, staff are under pressure. Vacancy rates, depending on units, have stood at about 10 to 15%. So you get uh, staff off sick because they've got COVID themselves or family members with COVID. Uh, That means that the system is severely understaffed to a point that becomes almost unbearable for for uh, those that are trying to cope. I mean, this payment is, the payment is there. Staff aren't working to get the payment. Staff are working to ensure mm. delivery of services um, and services that are under great pressure. All right. Georgie, let's bring you in. Your comments or thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I'm just wondering if this consideration now being given to having to do that in other DHB areas, if, if Auckland kind of comes off its peak perhaps and then it rolls down the country, uh, is this kind of a, a scheme or initiative we might see elsewhere? It is being looked at certainly in, in um, some other DHBs, but certainly the, 
the big problem or part of the, all, all parts of the health service um, are affected by shortages. There's no exception to that, and some DHBs are affected to really bad degrees. But in mm. terms of the extra problem caused by the high number of hospital admissions due to COVID or admissions for people who have got complications to their existing uh, conditions because of COVID, that's disproportionately hit Auckland over the last few weeks. And that's, you know, and also the acuity levels in the Auckland hospitals are particularly high. But yes, one can see the possibility of having to do the same in other parts. Okay. Uh, the, the way in which shortages are mostly, uh, mostly dealt with at the moment isn't by paying staff extra, it's actually by redeploying staff to different areas. So every nurse is a specialist in their own right. They have specialist skills that are unique to the mm. clinical area that they work in. What's happened in recent weeks is that people have had to be redeployed to units that are not their normal areas of practice. So you've got someone, say, who would normally work in orthopaedics or in general surgical, working in medical, which is where most of the COVID patients are, or people having to go to ah. uh, emergency to help there. And that's a real challenge. It's an extra stress on the staff, and there are obviously safety considerations as well. All right, Guy Williams. Um, David, maybe this is too big a, a question, but I'm I'm kind of an everyman who doesn't know a lot about anything. But my view of the New Zealand healthcare system is that maybe it's not in the in the bit. I mean, the people who work in it obviously are fantastic people, but it's maybe not as well funded as it could be. Some of the hospitals I've been to in Auckland pre-COVID seem like Scooby Doo. Um, Scooby-Doo locations, some of them were so run down, I'm barely em embellishing there. Are our nurses well compensated? And is are we putting enough attention on the healthcare system in general? Or is this like quite an underfunded problem that we face? Well, we've, we've got a good health system in terms of the calibre of the people that are working in the system, the commitment and the system itself. It's one of the best in terms of delivering results. But I certainly agree with you that it's a terribly under-resourced system, and it's, that's not happened overnight. In fact, much of the damage happened over the last decade, uh, where there was consistent underfunding year on year. And in, in terms of, for instance, salary increases, essentially zero increases. Now people are trying to catch up. That poses a huge problem. And in terms of infrastructure, bed numbers, that sort of thing, yes, there's been terrible neglect over a long period of time. And so on the capita basis, yes, we have a lower number of hospital beds. We have extraordinarily high acuity levels. I mean, the number of the nurses in the system has increased, but it hasn't incre increased in line with the workloads or the acuity levels. Uh, also, so we, we get the current situation with COVID, which is not just all of the COVID hospital admissions and also the burden for people that are in primary care, but also our system is historically very dependent on overseas trained nurses. 31% of all practicing nurses in New Zealand are overseas trained, 40% of all doctors. Obviously, in the last couple of years, the numbers coming in have dropped off, a thousand less a year between. Uh, 2019, 2020, and 2020, right. and 2021. So that's a significant because literally we have about 1,800 new graduates a year, but some years we've been getting more than that from overseas. Yes, uh, someone says here, I, uh, someone says 16 out of 18 beds on my ward had COVID. Uh, another person says, night shift is tough. 
Uh, if in fact it's a killer, they should be paid triple time. But in terms of what's happening overseas, um, just looking at um, generally how our hospitals are faring, if you look at other countries, Melbourne at its peak, and now in Hong Kong where it has really um, resurged, some pretty frightening images and scenarios coming out of Hong Kong. Do you look across uh, well, the region and say, mm, we can learn from that? Well, we know Hong Kong well. We used to have a partnership with some of mm. the hospitals, but Hong Kong's got a terrible, terrible. It's, it's got the same sort of case numbers on a proportionate basis to us, but it's got a mortality rate that is way above ours. The big difference, of course, being being their low vaccination rates, particularly in the over um, older age groups. So we've been part. We still have one of the lowest uh, mortality rates in the world with all countries that we'd like to compare ourselves with for COVID. And even with the latest deaths, which are you know not insignificant, but even with that, we have got uh, one of the lowest mortality rates. But Hong Kong, Hong Kong does provide a strong lesson um, in what happens if you don't have those high booster rates. Good to have you on, David. Kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. That is New Zealand Society of New Zealand Director, uh, David Wills. An anaesthetic tech says after 28 months of no raise in salary, I found it obscene that nurses get paid that much uh, at, uh, at vet time. I work only nights in an operating theatre and I can't even get inflation compensated for. We are very, very uh, short of star, staff, says this anaesthetic uh, tech. It is 17 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Georgie Stiliano and Guy Williams with me today. Well, New Zealand's current account deficit stands at $20.2 billion for 2021 after imports far outstripped exports in the final quarter of the year. Figures released by StatsNZ show that's the record. And one economist warns that the second half of 2022 will be tough says that the government needs to rein in spending. Another saying, well, party's over. With us is Cameron Bagri from Bagri Economics. Cameron, welcome to the panel. Uh, good afternoon. $20.2 billion in deficit, nothing to steeze at, Cameron, but is that where we are expected to be at with COVID? Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised with that number because there's, there's three broad things that are going on. Look, one, You've had a really strong domestic economy for the past 12 months. What does that mean? Well, it means you end up sucking in a, a, a lot of imports. So, so a good story has a little bit of an Achilles heel in regard to adding to the current account deficit. Uh, secondly, well, the tourism sector has obviously been, been crunched. Uh, we used to make a lot of money out of tourism because we used to get more from tourists that came here relative to what New Zealand has spent overseas. So the absence of that tourism market has helped to blow out the current account deficit as well. And then, of course, we're starting to see slightly higher interest rates. And New Zealand's a, a net borrowing economy, and net international debt's around 46% of GDP. So when you start to see those interest rates start to move up, it adds to the current account deficit. You roll that together, we've got a current account of 5.8% of GDP. It's, it's not a great number. It's not as bad as what we've seen in sort of 2006, where it was up around 7 to 8% of GDP. But it's a number that you wouldn't want to see steadily rising over the next two years. All right. So where we're at is uh, people are really struggling. People are really finding it tough with, uh, you know, petrol costs, food costs, all being covered. I mean, really, really tough. 
uh, and you're saying the government needs to rein in spending. Uh, where where would that um, rein in spending come from? How would that be done? Well, I'll give you, well, for instance, if you have a look at the 2022 budget package, you have a, budget packages are normally in the tune of, for the past few years, have been around 3 to $4 billion a year. Now, that's each year, so by the time you... Yeah, the package is typically four to five years, so you multiply those figures by four to five and you get some big numbers. Yeah, the 2022 budget, they've taken it up from the three to four billion dollars owned in operational spend. It's now going to be a six billion dollar affair. Now, we're going to find out in a few months the composition in regard to where that six billion dollars is going to be spent. But that just seems an absolutely eye watering lift between 2020-21 and 2022 in regard to how much money we now need to be throwing out, out the door. And you know, right. giving back to a little bit of context, look, the inflationary thief has turned up at our doorstep. You know, inflation undermines purchasing power. You know, People out there, if you're not getting a 6-7% to 7% pay increase, where well, you're basically going backwards, you know, petrol siphoning money out of your pocket. So how are we going to get inflation under control? Well, there's, we can praise that the global situation subsides and people prices come back down. The Reserve Bank is going to belt the property market by lifting interest rates. That's already taken place. If the government could ease back on some of the spending that's potentially going to hit the economy in the next sort of two years, that could help the Reserve Bank, i.e. mean they would not need to lift interest rates as much. OK. Uh, Georgie, mm. your thoughts? Let's bring you in. Well, I mean... Playing, so I suppose, are we saying that the government in budget 2022, 23, which was, you know, as you say, coming out of May, that they should trim back on health, education, the climate change fund, working for families, transport, um, and given where they're at politically, do you really think they're going to do that, Cameron? I didn't say anything about trimming back as in cutting. What we're talking about here is slowing the rate of growth. You know, fully expect that the budget package will be a positive number in regard to spending more because you need to spend more operationally just to keep the health system, education, police force yeah. ticking over. I guess my point is that $6 billion at this juncture is a pretty eye-watering number compared to what we've seen in the past four to five years. All will right. the border and the settings, though, will it kind of naturally ease off now that, that, that hopefully the worst of the COVID situation and we'll get a bit more balance in the, on the export front? Is that, uh, I mean, well, I'm that, interested in this. So, Well, well that, yeah, that, that $6 billion has got nothing to do with COVID. Well, the COVID relief money is completely separate to that. The budgets are these you know, packages that come in every 12 months and, yeah, it's typically once again a package of 3 to $4 billion, which by the time you multiply by three to four years, well, you get a factor yeah. of 3 to four higher than 3 to $4 billion. Now, when you start ratcheting this thing up from 3 to $4 billion to $6 billion, and then you multiply it out by sort of four years, you get a pretty eye-watering mm. shift in regard to what's going on. The OECD, it came out a few weeks ago, when they did the economic snapshot from New Zealand, you know, they told the government to rate it up. You know, mm. help the Reserve Bank out here because we've got a real big inflationary problem. And one of the concerns I've got is that if you go back to the bad old days of the 1970s, this is how things unfolded. We, we get inflation and then, of course, prices would go up and then everybody's out there. We need to pay people more 
and we just keep on spinning our way out of the problem. And then lo and behold, spinning yeah. our way out of the problem is not getting out of the problem. It just creates more inflation. You've got a, <laughs> you've got a nice little spiral. We call it the mouse on the exercise wheel. And now somehow we've got to stop that mouse going round and round that exercise wheel. Mm. All right, Guy. Mm. Um, Cameron, I know economics is not an exact science, but do you sometimes wish that politics would just disappear and as a philosopher king economist, economists could just run New Zealand? Could you fix it in like three years? Is it, is it that easy? Are the politicians getting in your way of a perfect economy? No, yeah, because... Economists are economists, and we live in a we live in a democracy, and we need to respect that. Yeah, well, one of the things that I'd really like to see in New Zealand is, is a little bit more balance between what's the economic and the social ledger. Yeah, we tend to see one side of the political spectrum that's strong on one and weak on the other, and conversely, the other side is strong on one and weak on the other. There's a yeah, New Zealand needs to be embracing in politicians what's called the long game. Yeah, you know, the long game is in and the short game is, is sort of out. Yeah, so if you think about this in business parlance, yeah, capitalism is still the right economic model. What we need is a long-term manifestation of capitalism, not what's called shareholder capitalism. Yeah, what does the stakeholder view of capitalism look like? It's bringing people back to the epicentre of what we do. Now, if we bring back to people back to the epicentre of what New Zealand does, I think we'll get pretty strong balance between what's called the economic and the social ledger. All right. Hey, Cameron, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's uh, Cameron Bagley from uh, Bagley uh, Economics there. Uh, it is... Uh, Wallace, he, it, yeah. Wallace, he just finished that with a beautiful a beautiful um, speech did. about bringing everyone yeah. together and balancing the world, and your response was just, all right, on to the next thing. That's right. And he no, also no. sounds like he could be in for a career change. I think he'd make a great politician. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was ready to give him a standing ovation. Yeah, all right, Guy. All right. I uh, wanted to get on the bus because it was very, very important uh, about the dinner party and the person who actually was invoiced, which is uh, which is what, what I want to hear about. Um, but I do want to read some uh, feedback out because we've had a lot. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Rachel. I just want to point out that many of us nurses are being redeployed to assist the hospitals in Tamaki Makaurau. We are not getting paid extra. I'm doing it regularly. But what is fantastic is the assistance from other healthcare workers I have had lately. For example, pharmacists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists. This is how we embrace the challenges here at Middlemore. It's not always about the money. And Elise says, I was totally gobsmacked a few months ago to see a boomer clad in black leather and riding a Harley Davidson pull into a disability car park. He glared at me when he saw I was obviously angry. He got off his bike and swaggered into the supermarket, says Elise in Nelson. Uh, and I'm an amputee with a mobility pass. A few years ago, I got my card clamped, and I had to pay $150 because my card had fallen to the floor of my car. So at least the private sharks are placing it. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National, 26 minutes past four. Really do want to get the uh, feedback about this bizarre story from our panellists, George Estiliano and Guy Williams. So... A person gets invited to a friend's place for dinner. Uh, a woman in Los Angeles called Amber Nelson. Uh, all goes very well. Had a great time. However, soon after, she received a message from the host requesting that she pay for her dinner. $20, to be exact. She tweeted about the experience and it quickly went viral with many sharing similar experiences. If this has happened to you, gosh, I'd love to hear about it. 
But around the panel of this, what do you think, Guy? You go to a fellow comedian's friend. Could be anyone. It could be, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let's think well, of one. You, you know as well as I do that I don't have any friends. However, I was just think, I was just if I that. did, yeah. I would be charging them for every thing they do at my house. You want to eat? I'm charging. You want to go to the toilet? I'm charging. You want to have a sleep on the couch? Everything costs money. It's the perfect capitalist society that I think the last economist uh, Cameron was talking about. We just need to charge for everything and all our global problems will be solved. I think this person's really onto something. It's how friendship works. So if I come around to your house and I have a, uh, you know, a bowl of pasta, you might have some luncheon sausage or some olives in there as well. You might have a bottle of red wine. Uh, and I use your bathroom twice. What would you invoice me? Yes. Um, I would inv- – well, that was an expensive meal. You're getting olives and everything and wine in there. Um, that'll be, that would be about $45. And then mm. – but tell me – I'll tell you this. Two bathroom breaks. If you do two bathroom breaks, I throw in complimentary uh, loo paper. So that's just part right. of the service. Okay. So, um, guys on board with this, uh, what are you feeling, Georgie? Is it, is, is it, is it so a little bit weird? It really made me laugh. You know, the, the thing the, – the bit that stuck out for me was that they had pasta – it's yeah. not like it was some sort of sixteen course <laughs> degustation menu. It was it was pasta. I mean, I love pasta. Don't get me wrong, and you can do a lot with that wonderful carbohydrate. But I was pretty surprised. I think it was twenty bucks. That seems steep for pasta. I wouldn't have a clue how to react if that happened to me. I genuinely would. I can imagine myself staring at my phone, thinking, "Oh my gosh, what do I say? This is so awkward." <laughs> How do yeah. I reply? It, it would keep me awake at night if, if that happened to me. It would honestly cause my anxiety to go through the roof. Not for it. Not for it. Sorry, Guy. Don't invite me around. I'm not, I'm yeah. not paying. It would, it would be odd. It sounds like, Guy Williams, you don't have a lot of people around your home for dinner, right? No. This is straight out of my new book, How to Lose Friends and Make People Hate You. <laughs> I will read that. Yeah, I'd be interested if this happened to you. But so you'd just ignore it, wouldn't you? Realistically, Georgie, you'd uh, see the invoice. You'd what do just, you do the well, next you... time you see them? Oh. It's awkward. It's mm. so awkward. I'd have to ghost them, I think. I wouldn't be able to say um, no and then go and catch up with them or do anything. I just would not know how to react. Very strange. Very strange. I'm just wondering very if it, odd, it, 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 was it some sort of was it some sort of lobster pasta? Was it some sort of? Or uh, is uh, she trying to set up a new business? Yes, exactly. And just forgot to mention it. Yeah. Anyway, you're on the panel, RNZ National, uh, Guy Williams and George Stiliano with me this afternoon.